The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Are you ready? It's From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. This is our f***ing city. Good morning, Boston. What's happening? It is a lovely day here as we record this in picturesque Westwood, Massachusetts at our Pod 617 Studios. If you didn't know that... We have a secret podcast bunker located at an undisclosed location in Westwood, Mass. Except, you know what? I guess we should disclose the location so people know how to find us. And we want you to visit us. My partner and uh, co-producer, Carrie, is looking at me with um, eyebrow raised. Anyway, the point is, if you want your own podcast, Pod 617 is the place to go. Go to pod617.com, click on one of those buttons that says get in touch with us, and before you know it, you'll be here in our Westwood studios recording a podcast. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. Hey, kids, do you like the comedy, as David Letterman would say? Because I love the comedy, and uh, if you're a Bostonian, you know that this is the center of the earth when it comes to the comedy world. And we have a guy here today that you may not know his name. If you're in the industry, you do, but if you're just a fan, you may not know. This guy is... Boston's king of comedy. Ladies and gentlemen, John Tobin is here in the studios with us. Welcome, John. Hey, David. Uh, can I take the blindfold off now? Because yeah. they escorted me in here because you didn't want anybody to know the address. So I'm... Yeah, my, my, I hope uh, my goons treated you okay when they took you to the secret location. They were very gentle lo- with me. Thank you. Location. <laughs> that's, that's one of the things. So uh, my, my podcast uh, role model, Adam Carolla, has a list of things he wants to happen to him before he dies and it's things like he wants to jump into a body of water with a knife in his mouth um he wants to be kicked out of a casino for winning too much and i think you could add to that list having a black bag thrown over your head and being taken to some secret location like uh (laughs) tom cruise in the first mission impossible movie if memory serves anyway we're, uh, we're already giddy, and we're only like two minutes into the podcast. But John Tobin is a uh, comic uh, legend around here. Started his career in politics, if you can believe it. it fine, li- uh, fine line between politics and comedy, I guess, John, right? Uh, not, not that fine. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing pretty, fine about pretty, it at pretty all. Pretty blurry. <laughs> so John Tobin is... Uh, is uh, his company is John Tobin Presents Comedy Production Company. He's also owner of Laugh Boston. If you haven't been to Laugh Boston, you must go. Boston's still probably Boston's newest and shiniest comedy club, right? I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. I mean we're five and a half years in. Yeah. So, and you uh, guys are in the Western Seaport. Yeah, Do we're next, right in the Western Hotel, right on Summer Street, next to the Convention Center. Right. And you've had the likes of, give us a few names of who has performed since oh. uh, you started. Uh, we're going a few years back now? How many years are we talking well, at Left Boston? Five and a half. September five and a half. 2013, okay. yeah. Okay. No, I mean, we've had Dana Covey there and Jim Gaffigan and um, you, I mean, you just name it. You they, name it, They've yeah. all been there. Uh, Vicky Bobolak was just in from America's Got Talent, mm-hmm. Samuel J. Comroe, um, just, I mean, and we do all kinds of, you know, podcasts there and 
private events and improv shows. Uh, my partner, Norm Lavalette, uh, owns the Improv Asylum on Hanover Street. Mm -hmm. So we have improv shows there all the time. We have no comedy there this weekend, actually, because we were bought out uh, for PAX East, mm -hmm. which is the major you know, conference going on at uh, the convention center, which is... Uh, a site for the eyeballs. It's in dry ball weather. That's where you want to go. You want to go to the lobby of the West End. It's uh, people living their life. And uh, so, I'm sorry. What's the organization? It's called Pax East. Pax and, East. Yeah, what, what do they do? It's around it? you know uh, comic books and uh, oh. uh, you know fantasy <laughs> and things like that, sci-fi and. But it's a huge industry, and uh, yeah, I mean, you go down there, there there are thousands of people going to that convention. Um, I think it's nice when they escape from their parents' uh, base <laughs> basements and finally come out and breathe some fresh air. Well, you know? yeah, it's uh, no, I, it's, I I joke, but but let's face it, this is the golden age of loving comic books and superheroes, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so do they walk around in costume? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, <laughs> of yeah. course, full on costume. And uh, it's actually a funny story from a couple of years ago. I was uh, pulling up uh, to it. We had the room bought out. And uh, I pull up on Summer Street to park, and as I'm backing into the spot, there's a, a car in front of me. It's got its hood up, mm -hmm. and out in front of the hood steps, there's three grown people. One was like two guys were dressed as like goblins, and the woman was dressed as like a witch or whatever. And yeah, I quickly put it together. They were at the at the conference across the street. Yeah. So as I'm backing in, they come up to my door, mm -hmm. and they said they would. They said uh, we need a jump. Right, my Oh, okay. Can you give us a jump? I said, sure. Yeah. So I go up and pull up next to the car. Of course, once I pull up to the car next to the next to them to go mm -hmm. jump the car, another car takes my parking spot. So I, <laughs> yeah, I get out. I'm in a suit and tie, and right. uh, and I go to put the cables on, but it's not. It's it's far. The battery's on the other side. The battery's on the other side, mm -hmm. and the sidewalk's there. So now I have to get back in my car, drive up the Summer Street, then turn around and come back the one way on Summer Street, waiting for traffic and. Pulling nose to nose so I can jump their car. You already regret this decision, <laughs> but no, you're a nice guy. What they are you gonna like, do? They would, you got they stranded superheroes. But then I'm thinking to myself. Uh, well, for, there were two thoughts that came to my mind. The first one was, a I love, love for someone that I know to drive by right now <laughs> and see this happening. <laughs> right. That was my first thought. My second <laughs> thought was, man, I, I, I'm gonna lean in there. This is how it's all gonna end for me. This is this is. <laughs> This is what's going to happen. It was dusk. It was, this is how it's all going to, I'm going to end up bundled in the back of the car and you'll never see me again. Right. But they would turn out to be the sweetest people you'd ever want to meet. It turns yeah. out their starter was gone. I couldn't yeah. jump the car. And so I end up, I said, look, so I end up getting a spot up the street. I end up walking them in. They had no money. They had no nothing. So I said, come on. And into you the, blow all the money on into those the costumes. Club. So I come walking into the comedy club, mm -hmm. me, two goblins and a witch. <laughs> Into the, you can't even make it up, you know. Just, just walk in. People look at me from the club. Are looking at me like, "What is going?" on? I said, "Don't even ask." And so I got them a drink, and we called them an Uber. <laughs> they went oh, way, so. Just <laughs> another day in show business. Yep, yep. Yeah, they see me underbelly of show business. Yeah. Yep. See, I thought you were gonna say, "Well, you guys are holding a uh, <laughs> lightning wand and uh, a magic shield. <laughs> Won't that start your car?" You yeah, know? yeah. So, so they were, they were, they were very sweet. They were very nice. But it's, yeah, it's people. Doing the thing and some things that I I've come to accept as I grow older that uh, just because it doesn't float my boat, yeah, does it? Uh, that makes what makes the world go around. I I do think it's nice. I do think it's nice because they. I mean, I kidded about them escaping from their parents' basement, but you know, a lot a lot of these people they they you know they don't feel comfortable. I I have I don't think it's too much of a stretch. I I have a son with autism, uh -huh. and so he's kind of in the middle of the spectrum. He doesn't have Asperger's, but to just sort of draw a parallel, the, the people with Asperger's have uh, trouble 
uh, making friends and making eye contact and communicating. And right. don't worry, I'm going somewhere with this. But a lot of them will get obsessed with certain things. They'll have certain passions, and that could be comic book. And so to folks like that that have trouble relating – if they go to Comic-Con and they're dressed as, you know, Thor or Gozar the Gozarian or whatever the hell they do, um, then all of a sudden they're part of, uh, you know, these are people that were probably outcasts and now they're not. So Oh, no question. I mean, yeah. when I was on the city council, I uh, uh, I had a group of people from Jamaica Plain where I represented, came to me. They were carpenter poets. They were carpenters by day and they were poets by night. Would, uh, of course. They would go to St. James <laughs> Gate and they'd write poetry about carpentry. <laughs> And they sit by the fire and drink beer. And, and so great group of people. And they, they had me sit in and watch one of the sessions one time. And uh, so I watched it. And they, they they met with me afterwards. And they said, we would love Boston to have a poet laureate. Right. I said, I, I, funny, I thought Boston already had a poet laureate, you know. And yeah, you'd think we have we everything else. And so I just – it turns out we didn't. And so I just very innocently just filed an order in the city council to name a poet laureate. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that I had proposed, you know, uh, you know, a Soviet blockade off of <laughs> off the East Coast. I said, I it, this was it made it to the front page of USA Today. Fantastic! I have it framed in my office. That's still. amazing. The people making fun of me though, about, right? You know, you know, and even my fellow counselors, they're having fun with it and the whole thing. But hey, uh, John, there once was a man from Nantucket. Oh, I, you wouldn't <laughs> believe some of the emails I got. I mean, just sort of the, the things and and so I mean, I was on every radio station being interviewed and you know on TV and. Um, so it but it passed, and they installed a role he, as poet laureate. So who was the poet? They poet did. Laureate? It was a, a gentleman by the first person. He just passed away last year. Uh, an African American gentleman by the name of Sam Cornish from Alston Brighton. Hmm. Uh, he was in his seventies. He was from the South, and his poetry was very deep. And um, uh, he got na- when he got named installed as poet laureate. It was at the Parkman House, which is the mayor's unofficial residence. Right. Mayor Menino was the mayor at the time, and there were two hundred people there for his installation. And I would guarantee you the 198 of them had never been inside the Parkman House. Yeah. And it was it was yeah. really cool. But for every person who made fun of me, there were a group of people. I'd have people every once in a while come up to me and say, hey, thanks for what you're doing on the on the Poet Laureate thing. It, yeah. I know you're getting made fun of, but it's how my kid expresses themselves. They don't have a lot of friends. Jesus, that's great. They, they you know, that's how they, yeah. it's kind of like their journal and how they write, you know, they express themselves and kind of their connection to the outside world and how they meet other people through that. So that... Always made me feel good about that. Did you do write any poetry like in school and any n- never anything like that? Oh, terrible. I remember I I stole a poem when I was like in second grade about the flea and the fly and the flu and <laughs> it was like this. It's a great poem. I forget. I, I almost it was second grade and I remember I, re- I was all proud of it because I just yeah. lifted it, you know. And I don't know where I found it in the library and there was no internet sounds, back then. And, sounds poignant. Yeah, and, like, and and it was so brilliant. But I I read it out loud and the, even the teacher she said. John, where did you get that poem? Yeah, <laughs> that's not supposed to be original poetry. And, yeah. uh, but you can—I mean—you can appreciate <laughs> that it's—it's you know we don't uh, you know average dudes like you and I we don't think or talk a lot about poetry, but it's not that far afield from comedy, not at from all. Impro- from any form of entertainment. I I took a creative writing course in high school, and I had this dude, um, Mr. Connolly. And Mr. Connolly fashioned himself uh, a Kennedy of his generation. In other words, he had the the thick rim glasses and smoked the pipe, and you know he had the jacket with the the, with the elbow pads the elbow and the pads, whole the yeah. whole deal. And he was like my he was like my like Robin Williams Dead Poet Society. Like I I, I really liked him. He he and so 
but we in I figured creative writing I'm going to write uh, stories essays and I wanted to be a journalist which I, that that um, mild dream eventually came true but um, but we so we wrote a lot of poems and so you know I had to write a poem and I decided well you know write about what you know I was a summer camp kid so I want to write about a kid that's homesick so mm-hmm. I wrote you know uh, it was it was totally hackneyed it's like uh, Billy cried and couldn't do his bed right and forgot his toothpaste and forgot his pillow and cried all summer. And it, was, it wasn't much better than that. And I remember Mr. Connolly, we had a little one-on-one meeting and he's, he's got his pipe. He's like, he's like, he's looking down, he's like adjusting his glasses and he flips my palm over and he starts to write. And about, you know, three and a half minutes later, he hands it to me and it says, um, when I was seven, uh, Jimmy Morrison, uh, uh, lit, well, it wasn't Jim Morrison, uh, Billy Morrison, <laughs> when I was seven, Billy Morrison lit matches and said, you'll get used to me. And uh, Joey Mullaney said, you'll have better days, kid, as he dropped, um, uh, you know, a hot cup of cocoa on my bed or something. And it was all these, like, I'm not even doing it justice. I can't even do it to this day. It was all these awesome details. Yeah. And it, it clicked in that moment as to what, good writing was to me and it, it's like um you'll know this it's a rule of comedy specific is always more funny there's there's a moment in that billy crystal movie which isn't the greatest but mr saturday night yep. where he's you know he's working the crowd and he's doing like the don rickles kind of heckling and he says hey lady uh who does your what do you have your makeup done at the circus and then you know the next scene he comes in and he goes hey lady who does who does your makeup ringling brothers and he's saying to his brother, he goes, you see what I did there? I changed it. I made it more specific. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that uh, a rule of comedy? Like, you would know better than I. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, it definitely is. The more specific and the more uh, honest and yeah. open you can be, All you, that. Know, you know, the better. You know, going, you know, just going back to that, I was just thinking, you know, we used to, when I was on the council, we'd do this holiday uh, card contest, and we'd put it out to all the schools, the publics and the private schools in my district, and have them write, you know, make a holiday card. And the winner would get on a billboard mm-hmm. that we'd put one in West Roxbury and one in Jamaica Plain. And then we'd give them, you know, art supplies oh, and $100. Cool. You know, yeah. it, was, it was great. So we'd have hundreds of entries. But it was uh, – it's a, some of the drawings were real reflections on kind of the circumstances some of these kids were being brought up in. Mm-hmm. And uh, some, were, some were, you know, some were just heartwarming. Some of the drawings were heartbreaking, though. Really? Because I think it was kind of a testament to, you know, some really kind of borderline – like dark stuff, like abuse or drugs or yeah, parents, you know, fire and things, yeah. and, and you know, and yeah, and it was, yeah, you'd flag some of those, and you know, and just uh, it got you really thinking, you know, yeah. some of the kids who were you know expressing themselves, they were using any outlet they could to kind of get a message across. I must have uh, I must have Robin Williams on the brain because what you just said reminded me of a scene in the movie Hook where at, at the beginning of the movie Hook before he realizes he's Peter Pan he's just this asshole lawyer named Peter Panning and his kids realize that he's neglecting him and not showing up for the little league games yeah. and the the little girl draws a no the boy draws a picture and it's one of these classic kid pictures and it's it's a plane and the plane <laughs> the plane is crashing and the members of the family the two boys and the mom are depicted in this little crayon drawing with parachutes, but the dad doesn't have a parachute. He's just falling to his death. And <laughs> Robin Williams goes, hey, where's my parachute? And he goes, oh, you didn't get a parachute, dad. Sorry. <laughs> so he got some revenge. Uh, well, you don't show up for Little League. That's going to that's gonna happen. Absolutely. Absolutely right. Um, yeah, if not, I'm not the greatest dad in the world, but I usually uh, show up to those things. Um, so um, before we forget or go any further, I want to make sure we hit on all the stuff that's going on in your world. Um 
comedy, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always thought it, it kind of goes through cycles. And one of the first golden ages of comedy was the 80s, I guess, right? When uh, all of a sudden there were, you know, comedy clubs in, sure. in Chinese restaurants and everything else. Yeah, late 70s, uh, early 80s, this, the boom was just amazing. I mean, it just, uh, I mean, there were five or six places going in Boston, downtown Boston alone. Yeah. Uh, we could go to, I mean, it, it was just, there were, there were guys doing six, seven shows a night on right. Saturday nights. Right, and you look up and you see the disco ball left over from the 70s, but the room's been converted, right? Yeah, and then it got out, spread out to the suburbs, like you said, in the back of Chinese restaurants. Yeah. And uh, it's so funny, you know, you'd have a bunch of, like, white Irish and Italian guys in the back of Chinese restaurants making fun of the Chinese <laughs> staff, you know, waiter God. staff, you know, and yeah. mocking them and things like that. And now comedy has taken off all over the world, but it's taken off in China. And Is so, that right? Yeah, so there's been a ton of uh, Western comedians who have gone out and lived in China for a year, year and a half, two years, uh, and worked the clubs. They say now the club, the clubs in China now are uh, 23, 24-year-old uh, men and women mm-hmm. with Western sensibilities who are making fun of Americans. Oh, uh, sweet they, revenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, but they have that, you know, that West, that kind of wise-ass yeah. kind of Boston – you know, so what do we get? What do we get made fun of for? Uh, you name it. I mean, we loud get, and yeah, obnoxious, obnoxious and, and yeah. you know, you name it. Uh, that you can take any country. It's like states who have rivalries with each other, or you know, based on culture and yep. mores and things like that. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of Americans every year. It's growing, and there's no end in sight. I'm talking, of course, about podcast envy. Hi, I'm George. I suffered from podcast envy. Sure, I had a podcast, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It was just insignificant compared to other podcasts. I felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seemed so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer podcast envy when I found the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one, too. They even gave it a name. Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod617.com. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. Thousands of people received our podcast, spraying it all over their Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Christ. You know, yeah. growing up, you know, before the internet, like my grandparents used to have these ra- raging parties, you know, and my parents continued the tradition, and but they would listen to comedy albums, mm-hmm. and uh, but they also remember they they had these uh, jokes that were written on mimeograph paper, yeah, and like and like cartoons that were dirty cartoons, and right. they would just pass them around to people, like and people would be sitting there, you know, can only read it one at a time, and yeah, they sit like there and laugh, and cool you go through the pages, and it was subversive like, stuff, that, yeah, it was yeah. like underground, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> underground yeah. joke books, yeah, exactly, and, and and eventually, like that kind of stuff eventually gave rise to like uh, the modern, like, you know, Mad Magazine and things like that. Which, oh yeah, which um, National Lampoon, and, sure, sure, yeah. Um, I used to devour Mad Magazine. I go into the CVS. Yep, and just I wouldn't buy it, but I just go read it cover to cover, standing there in the aisle, uh, and, reading reading Mad Magazine. And even if, um, and on the occasions where you did buy it, if you collected them, 
they never sat on a stack together because do you remember what was always at the back? The fold up. The fold in, yeah. Thing, the fold in. God, those were brilliant. They were awesome. Yeah. They were awesome. And my father used to uh, used to hide his national lampoons uh, with his playboys. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the bottom of his dresser drawer, yeah. And I'd always so he had, but I not that I wasn't interested in the Playboy, but I was, uh, but I loved reading National. If I had my choice, I would read National Lampoon first. <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow. Are you exposing yourself as well, a comedy? The, the comedy humor nerd. National Lampoon was just yeah, was so. And there were boobs brilliant. in National Lampoon too. Oh, sure so. they were, sure they were. So you had it both covered. <laughs> Did you catch that um, movie about uh, depicting the life of the guy that started National Lampoon? Oh, I'm forgetting his name. He played uh, Stork. In uh, Caddy, in uh, I read the book. Yeah, not I, Caddyshack. In uh, uh, Jesus, Animal House, right? Yeah, and what's I. Re- the guy, what's the guy's name? Do you oh, jeez, I forget his up. name, but I. Carrie, can you look that up, please? What do you mean? The the um, uh, founder or the co-founder of the National Lampoon, who eventually passed away. Yeah, fell fell to his death, possible probable suicide. It's an amazing story. Yeah, and, he was by himself, like on a on a mountain, on a uh, like a cliff, uh, right. like a sightseeing cliff. Yeah, the book. Uh, Harold Howard Ramis said that um, his theory was that he was looking for a place to jump off and commit suicide when he slipped and fell to his death. <laughs> yeah, what's <laughs> right. his name, Kerry? This is on Doug Kenny. Doug right. Kenny, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. you want your mic on? Uh, go. Okay, yeah. it's Doug Kenny, and while vacationing in Hawaii in 1980, uh, he walked past a warning sign and strolled to the edge of a 30 foot high cliff. From there, he either fell to his death or jumped. He was 33 years old. Yeah. He p- played Stork in the movie Animal House and had one line, which you, you later find out in watching that. So did you see it? It was a, a, a simple and futile gesture. What was it called? Yeah, with uh, uh, Will Forte. I'm getting the name wrong, though. Is it, is it there? A futile and stupid gesture. A futile and stupid gesture, which is a line yes. from the movie Animal House. You didn't see that, uh, John? I didn't see it, but I read the book Caddyshack. Okay. Which is making a, the yeah. last two, the making a Caddyshack, yeah. which is the last two chapters are really about making the movie, but the beginning... The leading up to that is all about kind of the rivalry between um, uh, the Animal House guys and yep. the and the and the uh, Caddyshack guy, but also SNL and Second City, yes, and the whole Bill Murray and Chevy Chase dynamic, and yep. uh, and Chevy Chase was the it guy on SNL, right? And everybody really, I mean, he and che- he and Bill Murray would have fistfights, right? Um, and that carried on to the Caddyshack set. I mean, the Caddyshack story is amazing like how they got that movie made how they got that golf course the fireball explosion at the end yeah where they basically the producers knew this was going to be great so they took the owners of the country club and everybody 20 miles away for dinner to celebrate the end of the movie that was the last scene they filmed it at the end because they, they knew they didn't want them got to them be off there. the course so they but could I guess basically the blow. fireball alerted the FAA they had a ground <laughs> flights coming out of the uh, the airport whatever the airport was near there yeah um, brilliant but it just the Guys were getting advances on their pay to have cocaine delivered to the set, and Ted Knight was on there, and he's a trained, like, serious actor. Yep. And he was disgusted by the whole. Yeah, display. I heard that he like, was the only one that wasn't coked up. The he was rest the of only were, one. Everybody yeah. else was. Yeah, he said it was just. Yeah. It was. I mean, it is the whole thing. Just the. It really, if you're a comedy fan, it's like a. It's a must read. You have to read the book. So I will do that if you see the. You got the easy job. Go see the movie, which is probably still on Netflix, uh, and it depicts exactly what you're talking about. There's a scene where uh, Lauren Michael, somebody portraying Lauren Michaels, um, <laughs> kind of is chit chatting with Doug Kenny at a bar, and Doug Kenny's like, "You're stealing all my writers, you asshole!" Like he, he was, you know, plucking people from the National yeah. Lampoon world to to be writers and actors on SNL. 
I guess Lauren eventually won that battle, but it's but it's really good. And the 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 guy uh, who plays Chevy Chase, oh Jesus, Kerry, who's who's the guy? He, he's on the E Clip Show. Um, oh my Joel, God, Joel McHale. Joel McHale. Thank oh, Joel you. McHale. Yeah, Joel McHale plays Chevy Chase. Uh, they, I mean, they actually co-starred together on. Um, community. Community. Thank you. That's right, yeah. Thank God you're here, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Beat off. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm only half listening to I'm, I know. I know. She's doing work. But then, this but, is my, my ADV. Thanks for helping. Help. Yeah. I'm, I'm only three quarters away through my first coffee of the day. So forgive me, listeners. But um, all right. We got a deal. And we'll report back. I'll report back after I, after right. I read that. Yeah. Am, am, amazing to think that. And then, then just to kind of put a button on that story. Uh, Kenny, um, you know, co-writer of Caddyshack, I guess. And when Caddyshack came out, it got some poor reviews. And this is depicted in the movie. Maybe it's in the book as well. Um, he he kind of had an incident during a press conference where he started shouting and stuff. At a comedy club. At a comedy club, right. Yeah. It, was at, uh, it wasn't at Caroline's. What comedy club was it in New York? But it was a, uh, they did a pre- like a daytime press conference. Right. Uh, like morning time. Yep. And everybody had been up until, you know, seven in the morning. Yep. And the press conference is like ten. Right. And this is like their national preview on the thing and it went horribly wrong. Right. Just right. horribly right. Yeah, and he had an outburst at that. Uh, and and right, distraught and the movie was getting panned, at least uh, in killed. some circles. Right. And he goes off to Hawaii and Chevy Chase spent some time there and he then did. a few days later the guy's dead and it's uh so there's a tragedy in there, but the um it, and it's just uh, kind of eerie to think if he were alive today to see how many people love that movie, you know, and put it right up there with the... It's amazing. Yeah. Like Caddyshack is, you know, it's like a brand name. Right. It's like Q-tips, you know, yeah. it's like Caddyshack. It, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, for a, fans of comedy, you have to have your, your Caddyshack lines ready and all and, and all that. That that was... There's, they had not, an, there's not one round of golf that has been shot in the exactly. history of golf since 1980 that someone hasn't recited a Caddyshack line. Yeah. There, there was an SNL sketch about, it was a phony ad about how to get in head in life using Caddyshack lines. It was, <laughs> it, was like, it was like the guy's in a job interview and he's doing poorly and they say, and the guy says, ah, just just tell me about your background. And the guy goes, well, it's a real Cinderella story. And the boss says, oh, oh, oh Caddyshack, you're hired. <laughs> so I love uh, SNL. Uh uh, as uh, as as do I. I don't miss an episode. Are, are you are you cool with um, this particular version of the cast? They, no, they you, go, know, you know, through my, dips, uh, my you know, Lauren Michaels is a genius. Sure. I mean, it just but my my biggest issue with SNL these days is I don't the outside people they use to be characters, and I always thought that we are a cast member. You get to develop Donald Trump. You get to develop these characters. Yeah. So Alec Baldwin, he even looks tired of doing this. Uh, but it used I think to, by his own admission, he's tired. Yeah, of doing I'm it. sure yeah. he is. But yeah. it's like, well, if I'm a cast member on SNL, what am I doing here? Yeah, what the hell? What yeah. am I? You know why? And you bring in, you know, bring in uh, Melissa McCarthy. I mean, they bring in uh, uh, Ben Stiller. Sure, they bring in all De Niro. These, De Niro. Yeah. It's like Damon. Damon. It's like why? Do you think that that's helping to bring it in the audience? Um, they're probably they're good shows. I mean, yeah. most of them anyway. The Damon Damon doing what's his face oh in the Supreme God. Court was brilliant. Oh, right? he's, he's yeah. very good. I mean, yeah. they're very good, but it's but it just lacks like bright cover. You know, these yeah. people who you know you, Will Ferrell developed how many characters on the right. show? Yeah. And you, I mean, Dana Carvey and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. You don't give the ca- the current cast members. Nobody knows who they are no. because they're not 
signature to any Yeah, it becomes a different show and you're right, it's a shame. Well, you're in the industry so you probably kind of bum out more than more than others, you know, appropriately, that it it it's it supposed to be a farm system for comedy greatness, Exactly. Right? It's supposed, you know, Dennis Miller says like going to college, going to comedy college and you go for 5 or 6 years and then you decide what you want to do after that. And you and uh you're right, you're right. And it's it's too bad cuz I, I like that there are there are uh, hidden gems in the cast now. Uh, everybody loves Kate McKinnon. It's fine. You can be a Kate. I, Kate. Lo- I have a girl crush on Kate McKinnon. Yeah, I love fine. Kate Over. I place <laughs> good but overrated. That's where I place her. But Aidy Bryant, um, Cecily Strong, Vanessa Bear, I thought was great in everything she did, yeah. and she's she's off the cast now. But um, I think Cecily Strong is great. Isn't she she's, great? Yeah. She can do anything. And, uh, she's uh, Aidy Bryant is great. I remember Aidy Bryant when I saw her in Chicago years ago at Second City, uh, or in some improv group, uh, and she's terrific. Yeah, pretty versatile. Um, she's got a show she now. Has have a you show, seen? Yeah. yeah, have you seen it? Carrie? No, no. You guys haven't I seen it? it? No. Um, you guys don't watch enough TV? Come on. Um, keep up. There's so much content on television now that I can barely, like, my father-in-law will say, did you see, uh, you know, this? And I'm like, yeah. when do you watch this? Yeah. Like, I have no, it's tough. Marin, Mark Marin had a good bit about that. Um, he said, uh, I'm so confused with all the content and people come up and have you, have you seen uh, Stiffy and Pete? It's like, what the hell is that? Oh, Stiffy and Pete. You got to see Stiffy and Pete. Well, what channel is it on? No, no, no. You got to download the, uh, you know, the Machine Box app onto your phone, and then you get Stiffy and Pete, and he's like, I'm too fucking confused. Forget it. I'm famous <laughs> for watching shows after they finish their run, and then well, I go back and just watch it. Oh, there's nothing wrong it. with that. Sure. I've done it with The Wire. I've done it with The oh, Sopranos. Yeah. I've done it with uh, uh, Mad Men. Mm-hmm. I've done it with a, a bunch of them, where Ooh. I just go back and just watch them over the course of a month. If you had to name your top three, you can't leave this room without uh, top, top three of all time TV shows. Because you mentioned a couple that probably belong on the list. Uh, bra- Break, to me, Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad and Wire are one and one A. Yeah. I, after I, when I saw The Wire, I said, Mike, I've never seen anything better than that in my entire life. Yeah, it kind of reinvented it was un- TV. Unbelievable. And, yeah. uh, but then Breaking Bad came along. I was hooked from moment one on that show where it opens up with him, you, you know, it. in the desert in the middle of the. Um, in his tidy whities Yeah. So, that, so <laughs> one and one A. Um, I'm gonna the only network one uh, that has switched to cable to, but uh, Friday Night Lights. Oh, I love. Never, it. I never got on that oh. train. Fantastic. Actually, you know what oh, I did for like is a f- fantastic. I guess I, I gotta go back. Yeah, amazing for a network television show with limitations that right. you don't, you know, you don't have the kind of the shackles on that you don't have on so cable. Yeah. Just so much. It was about five percent football and ninety five percent about life. Yeah, amazing. And it really, show. really, really was great. You know what show maybe doesn't get enough credit for Usher? This is absolutely golden age of TV. It's almost like you need a new word for it because it's it's the the yeah. sh- the short run TV series that come out that are so brilliant. I'm, I'm thinking about like, um, uh, well, first example I could think of is the guy who played Rob Stark on um, on uh, Game of Thrones. He does a show from the BBC called. Bodyguard, and it's, it's yes. and most people haven't seen. Do you see that, Carrie? I haven't. But it's like I know it's what you're like talking about. eight episode season. It's just freaking brilliant. Yeah. It's kind of like House of Cards, but but even better. But and House of Cards is up there, although sure. it, it's uh, jump the shark. Well, uh, it's, and the shark is yeah, the shark is sinking shark is, at the bottom of the ocean. Shark is having a little trouble right now. But for those I, of you who know what I look like, it used to be fun to say I look like Kevin, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> it's not so much fun anymore. No. People say, "Hey, you look like Kevin Spacey." Now it's like, "Oh, you look like Kevin Spacey." Oh. There, but I'm <laughs> I've finding got a great that Spacey story. there there are some limited shows. So like the shows like The Night of, 
Um, yeah, that's that's a better example. Phenomenal, yeah. and and Escape of Danamora. Oh yes, phenomenal. Very good character. And they're they're Escape not. Escape was unbelievable. Um, unbelievable. And Patricia Arquette. So good. I mean, Benicio del Toro, Paul Dano, amazing. Do you know who I feel bad for in the whole thing? Because it's based <laughs> the, on a the, real story. Her, her husband, her. Yeah, oh, the poor husband who funny. didn't do yeah. anything. Let, was it Lenny? What was his name? Uh, yeah. The poor guy, they depicted him to look like this total the schlub. Schlub. What a great acting and performance, though, right? He did, but the if I'm not like, so now I'm the real life husband, right? And my <laughs> wife is who I adore, yeah. who did this to me, is in jail for eight or nine years, wherever she is, and he's pining and lighting candles waiting for her return. And now he's going to sit there and Lyle. watch the minis. Lyle. He's going to sit there and Lyle. watch it like. I don't know what I feel worse about that my wife did this to me or they're depicting me like this that I look like a, <laughs> a this is, it's really unfair to poor Lyle. You can picture I, him sitting there on the couch with his popcorn thinking, well, maybe it won't be that bad and then just, no. But I think they were brilliant the way they, they the first couple of episodes, they made you feel, almost feel bad for these two guys. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But then they, that episode like three or four, was it five episodes or six it, episodes? It was seven episodes. Seven. And so, but the middle one, like the yes. fourth or fifth. When they flash back. They flash back to what these two guys did. Yeah. And like. All uh, right. Yeah. yeah. I hope they get eaten by a bunch of dogs. Paul been, Dano, especially, yeah. he became a very likable character and sympathetic. Yeah. He sympathized for him. God, he's such he's so good, isn't he? That actor. And if, apparently, if this he doesn't wait for the uh, for Del Toro to, to like he's just drinking his way through the mountains. Yeah. Right. If he just if took he up taken his own, off, he, they would have gotten away. Yeah. yeah. He almost did get away. He almost right? did. He was within a day or two, right, of reaching the, you know, yeah. the border. And then, I mean, Del Toro got the easy way out, right? He got killed. Yeah. This poor guy, he's in, I mean, yeah. not poor guy, but he's back in jail and he's like under 24 hours supervision. Right. Yeah. Mortally wounded, sent back to jail. Not a good day. Yeah. Not a good day. Yeah, I would have taken the, I would have taken the one to the he head. He reminded me of Eminem in that, in that show. I, Did you I, see that? He, no, well, he, like I the actually, swagger he carried himself with, it reminded me of Eminem. Like, Eminem could have played that role. I, I actually thought Maddie Blake could play that role. Oh, shout out Maddie! Maddie I love Blake. Maddie Blake. We I love, love Maddie. But I, love I, Maddie. I, I watched it, and then we did a podcast. We did Monsterland. And I was like, oh my god, Maddie Blake could totally play that role. He sort of looks like him. You know who <laughs> else thought? You know who else thought Maddie Blake could have played that role? Maddie Blake. Maddie Blake. Just ask. <laughs> Just ask. I love um, Maddie. I love yeah, Maddie. I've yeah. known Maddie for years. It's so fun talking. Uh, oh, Maddie is uh, actor and uh, comedian, and he's on two of our podcasts, uh, Shawshanked and Monsterland. But you, 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 it's fun to talk pop culture about him, but you only get so far for before he says something like, how come I didn't get that role? I could have <laughs> had that role. <laughs> um, so, uh, geez, we're in like three different parentheses here. I'd love to talk more about SNL, but that could be a whole podcast oh, yeah. so Absolutely. i mean we were talking about the 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 comedy industry and how it uh you know the the how it flows and its ups and downs and ebbs and flows that's sort of that's the expression i was looking for carrie save me um is this a new golden age of comedy but maybe kind of in a different form because i feel like i'm aware of more comics now because of all the different ways i can consume them yeah no question i mean joe rogan who arguably has one of the best I mean, most popular podcast sure. in the world. One of the Godfathers. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been compared to now. Then it's the new Tonight Show for comedians. Wow. You know, it used to be. A, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from comedians who go on late night television that, that go on Conan or Kimmel or, or Fallon. Right. It's a big deal. Yeah. It is not the deal. It used to, you you went on Carson back in the day, or even Letterman. Um, yeah. You could write your ticket. Right. You know, you, you were selling out comedy clubs the very next week. Especially you, if you got uh, invited over to the couch. You got invited over to the couch, you got the <laughs> wink, you know, yeah. and the whole thing. So now it's like the podcast now are fueling. Yeah. I'm curious, though, what your thoughts are on Stormy Daniels and her new comedy um, stand up career. What? I haven't heard of career. this. 
Yeah, so she was doing uh, like a one night thing. Yeah. Oh, she did it in Texas. She's done a few one night on, things from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, she did. On um, March 20th, she did. And she got so much shit for it because she didn't. She wasn't paying her dues. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to pay my dues if I don't actually do stand up? Is she funny? Uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, if she's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm I mean, kind of fine with it. Yeah, what's his face started doing this too, and we had him in actually. Uh, the guy uh, Ari from uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, Entourage. Entourage, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, what Jeremy Carrie. Piven? Yeah, Jeremy yeah. Piven. Oh, he started doing stand up. Yeah, he doing stand up, but, but he, you know, I guess he's got some. He's he started working the clubs and doing his thing, and you know, and mm-hmm. there are listen, there are people we bring in. Uh, we would bring in Stormy Daniels if she wanted to come in. We'd bring her on a Monday or Tuesday night. I'm not going to put her on a Friday or Saturday night. Yeah, on a, she on did a, a Wednesday. That's sacrosanct. I'm not. I'm not going right. to. I'm not going to do that. But just having her in might give a boost to the other people on the bill that night, right? Yeah. Listen, no, I mean, no. I always tell comedians. I, I have comedians sometimes. You know, real professional comedians who you know are grinding out. Who will say to me, "Well, why are you having so and so there on a Tuesday night?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Well, because they sold 250 seats, and there's obviously a market for it." Mm-hmm. And if you tell me, I'll gladly cancel them. If you tell me you can sell 250 seats on Tuesday night, right? Um, you know, I'm not running an art museum here. <laughs> I mean, I, I want it to be funny, but I also got to pay the the rent. Yep. You know, and and there's and comedy, I think, and and has become so segmented now. There's an audience for just about everything. Yep. And um, and if you can bring someone in on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, Sunday night, traditionally slow nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can sell tickets and there's a there's a fan base for them. Yep. Why not? Yeah. And and so the podcast opened up uh, like a new uh, avenue for you. Like we we uh, our listeners can know we we were talking to John about bringing one of our podcasts to uh, it's it's on our absolute to do list. But there are a lot of live podcasts now that have uh, have some success. You know, I, I, huge. Yeah, I went. I, I Adam Carolla sells out when he does a live podcast, and he's just one example. Um, oh, there's a, so who have you had? There's in? a ton. I mean, Greg Fitzsimmons with his uh, ah, podcast, Fitzdog, the Fitzdog Radio. I've known Greg for 25 years. He's one of my favorite comedians and one of my favorite people on earth. I, I love him. We get to, every time funny. he's in Boston, we go we go have lunch for three hours and tell the same stories and embellish <laughs> them. And but he tells me these great stories from the. I mean, he's just got some great stories. When he used to write for Ellen, mm-hmm. awesome stories, and he's just so honest. Yeah. Um, not it, not necessarily complimentary. It's great, you know, but right. yeah, these pod, I mean, yeah. guys, uh, people who are coming in, you know, that they have huge, these huge podcasts, and people are fans of them, and they come see them. Yep. Sometimes we'll, they'll come in on a Thursday night, do their podcast, and then they'll do their stand up on Friday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. But we have other podcasts, you know, we've got this. These two guys that come in, they do a takeoff on Watch What Happens. They call it Watch What Crappens. Oh yeah. <laughs> so they're in April tenth. They get two uh, April tenth and eleventh. Two sold out shows. Both shows sold out in two come hours. Come on. They're gone. They're and it's, it's, get, just, it's just a comedy show? What's the shtick? What, what does they that do mean? their podcast right in front yeah. of everybody. But you know? watch what happens. Is that just a clever name? Andy Cohen. Andy Cohen. He's like, Andy Oh, sure. Yeah, Cooper, yeah. They go on tour oh, together. Oh, okay. So it's just it's a, it's it's a, a satire it's a of a talk satire show. Satire of a talk oh, show, okay. but they talk about Bravo. We've had uh, recently, we just had a guy who's one of the bachelors. Yeah. He came <laughs> in and we they. Three hundred people. I bet all he women had, I came bet in he, and watched The Bachelor uh, on the screens. Were, the was he wearing clothes? And then he did a Q and A. I uh, was going to say, yeah, he probably has a real solid fifteen he, minutes. He right? did a Q and A. He yeah. analyzed, He talked about the show in commercials, and people were talking about it, kind of yeah, like so you watch a football game yeah. and you're analyzing it. And we've had survivors. So that's like people a why on Survivors uh, on, on the, the, survivor on the shows. TV show. Yeah, people, okay. you know, previous, you know, I was on Survivor thirty eight, and <laughs> I'm going to come in, and they have a huge pot, you know, and people they sell it out. They, they watch Survivor. And then they right. talk about they it. They want it. 
But I feel like with live podcasts sometimes, it's uh, people... I started seeing it in Montreal at the Montreal Comedy Festival just for laughs like four years ago. You got a whole... I mean, there's every comedian, every entertainer on earth is up there mm-hmm. doing their shows. But during the day, I'd see these things on the calendar, like in the ballroom, like the Fitzsimmons podcast live or Robert Kelly's podcast or Bill Burr's podcast and mm-hmm. Mark Marin And it's like, you know, like, who the hell... Who would go to a podcast, right. you know? And yeah. There'd be a line out the door at three o'clock in the afternoon to go into a ballroom to go watch this podcast. And I feel like people, a comedy show is meant to be intimate. Right. You think about one comedy show that happens. Yep. Uh, it's the only time it's ever going to happen. That show with that collection of people in the crowd. Because it'll, it happen- it'll always be different the next night. Exactly. Even if it's the same guy. Yeah. Or even or, the next show. Or, right. Because there'll be a different crowd, a different dynamic, yeah. and it's different. So right. it's, a, it's a, and I think people have, and people feel like it, it you know, it, with a podcast, it's even more intimate. They're eavesdropping on a conversation that they shouldn't be listening to, even though it's going to be broadcast an hour later or two days later or whatever, you know? It couldn't be truer. Yeah. That's, that's why podcasts are great. Yeah. I mean, you, you're making my speech for me about producing podcasts. And when, when people come in here, you didn't need to be coached up, John, because <laughs> well, you're a pro. I just read it just the way you wrote it for me before, <laughs> yeah. uh, David. <laughs> no, Followed but, your script, exactly. But people, you know, I do this daily podcast and people come in and they're like, well, I don't get it. What are we going to talk about? I'm nervous, you know, and what if I get it wrong? And it's like, no, just. You can't get it wrong. You can't. Yeah. You can't I, get it wrong. I, every once in a while, I would sub for uh, my my dear aunt Margie Margie Clapper when she back when she was on radio, um, yeah. not in her heyday, but she was doing like business ten sixty or something. I'd come in and do like a couple hours, and uh, I was finishing up, and I had a guest to come in for like the last twenty minutes, and I get like a, a, a cell phone you know voicemail message that oh I'm sick today, Dave, I can't come into the studio, and so I look at the producer behind the glass, I'm like Chance, I'm fucked, I'm fucked. There's no <laughs> we got twenty minutes to fill. What am I gonna do? What are you gonna goes, do? He goes, Dave. You and I are just going to talk. I go, what are we going to talk about? He goes, I don't know. What We'll pick up on what you last talked about. We'll talk about the freaking Patriots, like whatever you want to talk about. And he goes, Dave, I'll never forget this. Good radio is just like listening in on somebody else's conversation. And like I took a breath and then I realized like that's, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a Stern made, made a, a, an empire out of this. Sure. You, like the stuff he would bring you into his world. Like, you know, he's talking to Robin and he's like, hey, Robin, um, you know, Andy, the intern, was late again today. He was? What What? what the hell? I think this is strike three, Robin. And here I am in the car driving, and I'm saying to myself, oh, jeez, I hope they take it easy on Andy, the intern. And then I'm like, why do I yeah, care? They broke down I, that, they broke down that wall, and right. uh, they told you how the sausage was made. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Are You Not Entertained? The was I and and the am I entertained, can I start that again? Sorry. (laughs) Am I entertained? I did it again. (laughs) Dumbass. Are you entertained? Ah! All right, sorry, sorry. It's Ed Nathanson. I'm here to give you the podcast that I've always wanted to do. That's talking about movies. That's talking about music, sports, pop culture. That's talking to some of the best people in employer branding around the world. Are you not entertained? Can I start that again? It's funny. Conan O'Brien's going to do a podcast, which is spectacular. Really? It is spectacular. Uh, I, it I, is re- I didn't realize. He's got a little edge to him. He does, yeah. That I didn't realize he had. Um, it is spectacular. It's called Conan uh, Needs a Friend. And the premise <laughs> is, you know, he doesn't, he, even though he's been in, you know, doing this for 25 years, the show, yeah. he doesn't really have a lot of friends. And won't you be my friend? And <laughs> oh, he has God. these people on. But he had Michelle Obama on. Uh, so, so it's an interview podcast. It's yeah. yeah, and it's really, but it's really great. And he has this great uh, rapport with his producer, 
who mm-hmm. also is assistant, I guess, on the show, mm-hmm. this woman, and they go back and forth at each other. And with the producer's show, it's really, really great. But you mean yeah. like the delightful relationship Carrie and I have, right? Absolutely. Right, Carrie? Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Excuse, sorry, Dave. I'm on my phone. Shut up. <laughs> so, uh, Dave was trying to make sure that I was paying attention. Michelle Obama was saying, she, and she was not complaining by any means. She was, you know, or lamenting. But she said, you know, we have security around us at all times. And sure. she said, these are people, men and women, who give up their lives and sacrifice so that we can be safe. Mm-hmm. So, And they become family to us. Mm. She said, but what I do miss most about, you know, our life, over the last 10 years is like the lack of anonymity and we're no longer anonymous and you can't, she says, what I miss most of all is just being part of, just being anonymous and eavesdropping on people's conversations. Oh, that's funny. Like being in a grocery line and listening to a conversation or whatever, uh, this, you know, and she says, I miss that the most. That's funny. You feel like you're part of society. If she, yeah. Cause if she tried it, it'd be like, um, (laughs) why are you, why are you eavesdropping Michelle Obama? Get the hell out of here. You have better things to do. Meanwhile, uh, her book is um, the biggest selling autobiography ever. It's insane. It's and it's, yeah. she's selling out. Or it ar- could she's be selling cool. out arenas and, yeah. and talking about it. And yeah, Conan. Um, I I don't know if this is a repackaging of his late night show or what, but there's a series on. I think it's Netflix called uh, Conan uh, Abroad. Conan Abroad, something like that. Which is amazing. You've seen it. Yeah, we said it was after. He, I think he started the Conan the app. Without Borders. Conan, Conan Without, Without Borders. Borders, thank you. Is it on Netflix? I, it's I on make, Netflix. My boys, I make, I make my boys watch them. Is that the Law and Order? No. <laughs> you idiot. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Is that not burned in your brain? As opposed, oh my God, yes. It's 100% as opposed to, burned in my brain. As opposed to HBO. HBO. This could be, we could just Wait, play which the. which one is this? This is great. I'm not going to play it again. Here. No. No, you know what? Amazon needs one. Call, uh, call Randy one. Newman. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, John. Sorry. Yeah. The, yeah Co- Conan Without Borders Without is, Boris, is yeah. amazing because it was after, I think it was after uh, Trump was calling country shithole countries. That's right. He And he went to Haiti. And he went to Haiti. And it's amazing. I make my boys, my boys are 11 and 12. I make them watch them all because- That's a good tip. Uh, I'm going to make my son watch it. Yeah. They're really amazing because he went down to Haiti and- he he's this endearing person who doesn't look anything like anybody right. there. He just doesn't, you know, he doesn't look like most Americans, right? He's just a six foot four guy with this blonde, this red hair up in the air and pale uh, as pale as a sheet of paper. And yeah. My boys actually, we were out every time the boys get great grades, uh, we take them out to a nice dinner. So a couple of years ago, we were at the Capitol Grill, oh nice, and uh, in Chestnut Hill, and it was uh, a week before Christmas, and we're sitting there. It turns out. Uh, we're sitting at the table, and the uh, the O'Briens were having their uh, family Christmas, Christmas party, party in the pri- in the back room of the Capitol Grill. So it's funny he came. So up, you noticed two dozen people and they with have red hair ugly and sweaters. Skin. They all oh. look alike. Oh really? There were like fifty of them <laughs> in the back, and so he came out with an ugly sweater on. His, and it must have been his brother. I think he's got like six, seven brothers. Or oh my god, that must so have been a ugly, funny sight. Uh, ugly sweater. So, but it's funny. My boys did not recognize him from being Conan the late night host. They recognized him from hosting the ESPYS. Oh, that's oh funny. And so my wife says, "What?" Well, goes, uh, goes, they leave and go say hi to him. I said, no, they just go in the men's room. I said, Le- leave him alone and we'll get him when he comes out. So they come out of the men's room. They're coming back and he gets stopped at a table right next to, next to them. So my boys had suits on. Mm-hmm. And one of my oh, boys, that's one cool. of my boys they, has they red dress, hair. They dress up for the special dinner. Yeah. That's cool. And so yeah. he, they go up and Conan's talking to, them, so the, yeah. talking to the thing. And so finally my my then nine-year-old taps him on the back of the, <laughs> on the, on the back of. Like on his, his back, rear yeah. end, you know, and oh, he's, you know, 
<laughs> and Conan Bryan turns around. He turns. He goes, "What the hell do you two want?" This guy's yelling, <laughs> really? like playing around, you know, oh, yelling good, at him and stuff. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he he couldn't have been nicer to them. He was great. But these these Conan across uh, without borders things are just. He's done Haiti. He's done Cuba. Mm-hmm. He's done uh, South Korea. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. they're poignant. He endears himself to people. I mean, him going around. He did one in Mexico where he walks around with a tin can asking people to contribute to the wall. Oh, I didn't see that one. It is just—it's <laughs> oh, unbelievable, all right. Yeah. And then he ends up playing with the Mexican national team soccer. Yeah. And he lasts about ten minutes because he's going to have a heart attack with these guys. <laughs> he just—he's really, really awesome. But it teaches you a lot about these countries and these cultures. And yeah, I don't know. It sounds not, like Anthony Bourdain, like that whole yeah, what but he it's, said it's with food. But it, yeah, true, an element of that. But it's—it's it's really derivative of some of the Letterman bits of old. I think when he would just not necessarily abroad, but but just Letterman on the street. Letterman on the street that, was the uh, most brilliant stuff. Right. That I, I mean, Letterman doing the drive-through at a McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, going ringing people's doorbells, showing up at their houses. I mean, he made showing st- up at NBC. He and, made stars out of the vendors who worked right downstairs. The from, guys who own the uh, variety store downstairs. Yeah. Yeah. The Exactly. Yeah. I remember I was in New York once, and me and a buddy like excitedly ran into that store and had our pictures taken with those guys. <laughs> and, yeah. Letterman is. Oh, the Hello Deli. Hello he, Deli. Yeah, the Hello Deli. Yeah. That guy was. Letterman funny. is Rupert from the Hello. Deli. Letterman is. Purely responsible for my poor grades and uh, <laughs> you and me both. I from think from like eighth grade because remember he was on at twelve thirty. Sure, and he get yeah. over at one. Th- I'd be up. I was in eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh grade, oh, waiting up until I was watching him yeah. at one thirty in the morning. We'd be at beer parties when I was seventeen oh yeah. at someone's house and their parents were away, and I'd have to go. I'd either have to go home or I'd find a television down in the basement because I couldn't miss Friday night viewer mail. Yeah, I had to watch View a Mail, and I letters, had to watch. We get letters. Yeah. I couldn't watch uh, Miss Chris Elliott, and I couldn't oh, miss God, uh, yeah. Larry Bud Melman. Yeah, and those were. I mean, I went to go see Chris Elliott do a talk on. He showed Cabin Boy at the Coolidge Theater oh, about God. 10, 12 years there ago. There are funny stories about that movie. He, yeah. oh, it's the only movie Letterman's ever been in. That's right. Do you watch Shit's Creek? Uh, with it's funny, you know, it was talking about it's going off. It's his last season. Uh, yeah, they have one more. Here Carrie goes with her Shit's Creek. And adoration. that's one of those shows where I, I can't. Swear. I'm gonna watch I it. I fucking love binge. that show. It's awesome, right? Yeah. Chris Elliott is great and, and Eugene Levy, Eugene, Eugene Levy, Levy Catherine, Daniel Levy, Sarah Levy, their his kids. Yeah, Catherine <laughs> O'Hara. I can't set your yeah. expectations, John. There are these strange. No, 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 no. There's a strange cult no, of Shit's Creek. There's a reason why there's. It's yeah. like a B plus show. It's no, no, good. No. It's Canadian. Dave right? doesn't know comedy. And I love <laughs> Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara more than anyone. All those Christopher Guest movies, I could watch sit it. and watch them forever. But it's, it's good. So it's good. good. It's worth watching. You gotta I don't get into. Right. You gotta watch like the first three or four episodes, and then you get into it. It's okay. Just Poor John so is just confused good. now. No, no. It's it's one of those. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna binge watch it. Mommy and Daddy are fighting over. Please make it stop. <laughs> um, we're a little up against the clock here, John, but two two things. We've covered a lot of ground. Huh? We, we have. <laughs> I'm glad I'm, I'm, glad I'm on the mic now. <laughs> we could we could go. I mean, um, uh, God love the other podcasts we we produce. Last night we taped the Monsterland, which is a paranormal podcast, which was a lot of fun. But to me, I can only listen to about Sasquatch for so long. Sorry, Maddie and Ronnie. But um, but I could talk comedy forever, so we're going to have to have you back, John. Yeah, definitely. Um, but two things. One, a good podcaster will always listen. And I heard when you said you had a good Kevin Spacey story, so I'm coming back to that before we leave. What, you get, can you share the Kevin Spacey story? Yeah. No, he, was at, uh, he was at Northeastern uh, four or five years ago as the homecoming uh, speaker. Okay. And so... Uh, pre my, pre his troubles, obviously. Oh yeah, 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 This is before yeah. Nan, yeah. after right. Nantucket. Okay, go uh, ahead. This is sorry. before. This oh, is boy. before. So, yeah. he's a home. I mean, House of Cards is on top of its game, right. and you know these homecoming speakers—they're they're a big deal. There's five thousand kids, you know, at the arena. Yeah. So 
the president of our, of our university, President Aoun, he's been there since 2006, and he's brilliant. And he's just taken Northeastern on a rocket ship mm-hmm. on the way up. So uh, he wanted to go meet Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. Uh, president Aoun was at USC for 24 years mm-hmm. uh, before. So he's well-versed in the whole Hollywood culture in Los Angeles. And so... But just a very, an academic, he's a linguist, he speaks seven languages, and, you know, brilliant guy. So we go up to the, Kevin Spacey's dressing room was in the varsity club uh, of Northeastern. So like in one of the, you know, behind one of the nets. And then, so we walk in, and there's a couple of Northeastern police officers, a couple of Northeastern employees, and then these two guys who were retired Long Beach, California uh, officers. They were young, but they were retired, and they were Kevin Spacey's detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the crowd were, so people probably don't realize that after the marathon bombing, Kevin Spacey uh, went his, to hospitals, went to uh, hospitals. His yep. connection to Boston is Jack Lemon was his mentor. Really? Yeah. He and Jack Lemon were buddies. And he now actually- Now I'm going to show my ignorance. What's Jack Lemon's connection to Boston? Is he's he a from Boston New- From Newton. Jeez, originally. I yeah. that. And uh, Lemon- Mr. Jack Lemon, as Ving Rams would say. Lemon, yeah. uh, Lemon had used to, his famous saying was, you got to send the elevator back down. For the next generation to help. Oh, them. okay. So I think Spacey's foundation was called that or something. Oh, cool. And um, so, but he had he had like a hundred people from like BMC and Beth Israel, people, doctors and nurses and first responders, cops and firefighters, in the front rows of the thing. He was taking them out to eat afterwards after mm-hmm. the show. So the president wants to meet him. We had talks about our president introducing him on stage. I want to introduce my vice president, and that right. didn't pan out. So mm-hmm. and. Uh, Probably a good thing. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, <laughs> so he comes out. It's about twenty minutes for the show, and we go on the thing. He's not in there. He's in another dressing room across the hall. So about two minutes later, Kevin Spacey walks in. He looks like a million bucks. Yeah. He doesn't have a suit jacket on, but he's got the vest and the tie and the. Sure. And, he says, and you know he's got the he's got a commanding presence to yeah. him. You know, oh, Mr. President, how are you? And and our president, he's he's born in Lebanon. Okay. President Owen. Right. He says, uh, "Hello, uh, Kevin. Uh, this is uh, John Tobin. He uh, runs comedy clubs." Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I also work here, too. I just want to remind you, I also work at the Working University of Spaces. Yeah. Well, the comedy clubs are great. I love comedy clubs, and uh, they're great you know, in times of trouble, and mm-hmm. you know, people go and get away from their problems. I said, yeah, exactly. So now there's a bunch, there's like 12 or 13 of us from our combined camps like on the wall, like leaning against the wall. And uh, my president and Kevin Spacey kind of migrate to the middle of the floor to have kind of a quasi-private conversation. Right. And so... Kevin Spacey's and facing Kevin Spacey his, his people. He's no, facing his, no, no, he's I'm facing sorry, his people. Keep going. And uh, they're talking, they're having a conversation. And uh, about, I don't know, about a minute into the conversation, Kevin Spacey uh, leans to his right and sneezes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he sneezes and <laughs> continues on talking to the president. But all of a sudden, abruptly throws up his right hand oh boy. To, towards his people. And he says, Tissue? No way. Stop it. And so. <laughs> I make eye contact with a woman, that one of my colleagues from yeah. Houston, and we like look at each other like, "Does that is this for real?" He's asking that us like, for like an episode of The Office, like you yeah. make eye contact with the office, you like speak through your eyes, like, "Did that just happen?" Yeah. And so, so we're thinking maybe he's just joking, but they come over. Here you go, Kevin. They bring over a box of tissue. Did they he's, wipe his nose for him? He's got a tissue guy. Yeah. So he, yeah. so he, start, thank you, and starts talking. And thirty seconds later, he goes to sneeze again. He leans to his right to sneeze, but right before he sneezes, he thrusts up his left hand. And he says, bless me. <gasps> what? And you hear, bless you, bless you, Kevin, bless you. Stop you know, it. And we make eye contact again and like the whole thing. It was the most bizarre. It wasn't a th- bit. 
And it wasn't a bit, oh, right? Boy. It was sort of like, oh my. So to this day, that happened four or five years ago. Yeah. I told this at a senior retreat at Northeastern. Uh, the president had me go up and do comedy, yeah. which is always a balancing act with academics and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I brought Tony V with me. But I told that story, and they were laughing. But to this day, I see Emily, who's my colleague in Northeastern. We don't work in the same buildings, so I don't see her all that often. I'll just, she'll be with a group of people, and I'll just walk by her, and I'll thrust my right hand up in the air. I'll go, tissues. <laughs> oh, bless you. I'm going to do that. So she called me about two years ago, and she says, <laughs> after she says, you know, you got to really knock it off. She says, people think you're a total whack job. They have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> she says, and I start laughing. And they tell me, ask me what's up. She says, I can't get into it. That, <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> yeah. Which, well, which only makes me do it more. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, that explains a lot because it explains why, you know, there were always whispers about Kevin Spacey, you know, dalliances of men and indiscretions. But what really got him in trouble was that day down in Nantucket where he looked to the waiter, raised his hand and said, penis. You know, I, I thought that was a little, you know, oh. out of... Oh, you guys! Oh, Come on, Dave. it's a There's podcast. There's a reason that you're not doing. Uh, Newsflash: He's gay. It's a joke. Oh, well, for crying out loud! What do you people know about yeah, comedy? John Tobin, <laughs> what do you know about comedy? You've only been Nothing. in the business since 1992. Nothing. Well, you know, it's funny when we, you know, we talking about comedy names and clubs. Oh God, yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So know, it just, it's so the toughest it, thing to do is come up with the name of a club. There you go. It took us six months to come up with Laugh Boston. You should have seen the list of. We actually considered First Amendment. The first okay. Amendment. All right. Club. I'm, I'm with you, but but because I'm but obtuse, a little I, too obtuse, well, like, I, unclear as to what. Yeah, it is. but I just think comedy clubs have uh, even comedy clubs are under attack now. You get people who are going in, and we we every single show we have, we have to go tell someone to put their phone away to stop recording the show. Oh. Right, because because the con- you know the 12 second clip that you release on the internet is not is taken so far out of context by what was before that or what's after that. It's unfair to the yeah. performer. Trolls. Yeah. And see it live, or don't, just put it away. Um, you should have we, signs around that say no trolls. We do. Phone away. We, we we have signs. We uh, but every single show, like, what are you gonna do with that? Yeah. You know, what, what what are you gonna post it yeah, on he, Facebook? And well, make that's why you're here. That that's why uh, Louis C.K. is having trouble with his comeback because somebody takes out the phone and and takes the the part that they think is too edgy. Or it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's so ridiculous. And so tweets it out. Yeah. So uh, you know. So we we consider that we come up with Laugh Boston, but I. With names of, but we were talking early before we went on, you right. know, about you know the Chuckle Hut, the Comedy Bond, and the you know stitches, giggle yeah, sticks, yeah, side splitters, side you know, splitters. the whole thing. Yeah. And so it's kind of like beauty salons. Like I think there's something in like the law that you can't open up a beauty salon that can't unless you have you know here today, gone tomorrow. It has to be a pun. It has to be some pun on here. You right. know, you know, down the street from know? our studio. Or it has to have a backwards Z. Like, yeah, the New York Hair Exchange or something like that. You know, it's got to be it, some sort of. It's point. amazing. Down, down the street from our studio, there's a diner. It's called the toast office that always makes me laugh love it i <laughs> yeah, think it's that's great a good one. you know i think but i do love the ones that you know there's a veterinarian over in like in denim his name is mm-hmm. dr wolf mm-hmm. dr wolf i mean what are you gonna, <laughs> else is, gonna change it right How, you know itself, and yeah. uh so uh so we i like names of like we, we try names a uh, uh, name our club so there's like a it tells you where it is and what it is yeah you know like when we did uh see uh, at cbs scene at gillette stadium sure we call it the comedy scene, but we also they mm-hmm. let us put the um, the lighthouse at Gillette. Oh, cool! In the in the background, yeah. So, so it tells I'm, you where it is and kind of what it is. You know all you need to know. Yeah. And Worcester, you know, we we call our new club in Worcester the Woo Haha, right? Because <laughs> everybody in Worcester calls it the Woo. The Woo, yeah. You know, that's good. I mean, that's good. So you finally came up with a new name. We were saying, I think you've, you, it's it's hard to come up with a new one. Some play on words that has to do with laughing or the the Woo Haha, and uh, you know, there's Laugh Boston. Uh, but there used to be all these like crazy names. They didn't tell you what it was, and and, yeah. and wh- so I like 
I like uh, like at MGM we uh, we named it Roar. Oh, okay. So oh that, man, that's good. With the exclamation point. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. plays the on the line. MGM sure. loves the name. I tell you, the truth, I can't believe MGM didn't come up with it. Yeah. You know, and uh, your your stupid line's been roaring since 1929. <laughs> Figure it out, so, MGM. But it but it works out great. So it. So I'm glad you brought that up because we do have to run. But so you've got. So we're talking here about all the the shows that John produces and that you should know about because I didn't even know about some of these. So you got the Wuha in Worcester. Right. Yep. By the way, can we find all this at JohnTobinPresents.com? Yeah, John okay. Tobin Presents. And we're on Instagram and on Facebook and so you got the all your social media, all the socials, outlets, all, the, all the things that kids like to do. You know, <laughs> those kids. Uh, Worcester. So um, the 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 casino in Springfield, which I haven't been yet. It's what, awesome. Is it great? Yeah, it's and awesome. How, how big's your room there? Two hundred fifty seats. Nice. We have Rachel Feinstein uh, out there this weekend, mm-hmm. who's headlining, and uh, we have she's all national. So funny. She's awesome. Wait, what do I know her from? That's she awesome. is so funny. Yeah, Carrie, I'm, answer the question. She's you, what do she's I know her from? Just funny stuff. Stand up. Late she's night, yeah. a Jewish name. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, she's. Oh, so you're saying right. she's a Jew? Like, she must she's be funny. She's a stand-up comedy uh, comedian. We've had a lot of great luck with. We know the kind of the blueprint of what people are looking for for national comedians that laugh, and sure. we put, put, plug them all into at MGM. Uh, and it's worked out great. Uh, we just had our best weekend last weekend out there, so it's really, it's really taken off. So, Springfield, uh, MGM at Roar, excellent. We're there every Thursday and Saturday. of course, Laugh Boston. Laugh Boston, uh, which is just doing really, really well. We're really proud of everything that's happened there. Uh, the the, the uh, comedy scene out at Gillette. We're there every Saturday night, mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, we have Nick's Comedy Stop, which is the first place Still I ever saw kicking. live comedy. It's a Keith Richards of comedy, baby. <laughs> It'll never go away. Oh, man, I used to go there as uh, a teen when um, it was the only place I could get served a beer. It's not necessarily why I went, but yeah, I went. It and, helped. You know, yeah, and, you know, you, it was easier to get into a comedy club than it was to get into a club. Sure club. it was, yeah. And so go have a couple beers and hear, you know, Steve Sweeney and DJ Hazard and those guys. Oh, the first God. show I ever saw was DJ Hazard, Don Gavin, and Kevin Knox, and Sweeney came off the street and did a set, 1986. Murder is junior Catholic memorial. And I just walked out and I said, I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. Yeah. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then we used to go on dates. The uh, Nick's Comedy Stop mm-hmm. uh, used to have $4 off coupons. The admission was $8 yep. in the late 80s. And uh, so we that was the best barometer of taking out a girl. She laughed. Instead of taking a movie, yeah. you're, not, you're not facing each other. Just see what their interests are. And you kind of gauged someone. They're probably gauging you too, you if know. If they laugh, they're a keeper, yeah. But me and my friend Gary Diamidi would cut out the coupons and we'd take dates to, to <laughs> but we'd tell the, the ladies, so I'd say, ladies, stay down here. We're going to go pay for the tickets. And yeah. so we'd go to the guy, Bobby, and the guy, we'd have the $4 coupons, we'd hide oh, them from them. And he'd say, rude. okay, you have uh, $4 coupons. We'd go, shh, keep it down, keep it down. Because <laughs> 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 that $4 off meant you could get. You know, four more beers. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> it, was, it was it was great. Was yeah, uh, DJ Hazard used to go up there. He had a beard that was cut in like four different directions, and he'd go, "Take a look at my beard. Do I have too much fucking time on my hands, or what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. He'd do the song about the ground round, oh, ground yeah. round. Uh, yeah, he was just just legendary, you know. But yeah, just so we have Nick's comedy stop. We're there every Friday and Saturday night, and then uh, and then we've got the Woo Ha Ha in Worcester, which is killing it it's going great and then uh, the comedy attic in Worcester which uh, Dick Doherty had and he retired so oh, the they were looking to continue so we we can t- that's a mile away from the Wuhaha but it's you know it's two different vibes and two different crowds and two different sets of comedians so it works out great so we're and we got a bunch of shows we got Celeste Barber coming up at 
the Schubert Theater, uh, June 21st. Oh, yeah. We've got yeah. Bobcat Goldthwait and uh, Dana Gould at the Somerville Theater on May 15th. Excellent. And we get the Boston Comedy Blowout coming to the uh, Cape Cod Melody Tent in Cohasset. Bobcat uh, coming to do his poetry readings? No, I'm just kidding. He does. <laughs> does he still scream at the top of his lungs? No, not so much. He's mellowed out a lot. A lot. He's doing actually doing it. He did a documentary on Barry Crimmins, who's kind of the godfather of Boston oh, yeah. comedy, who passed away last year. Uh, but he's making a motion picture about uh, about Barry's life, and so he's, yeah, I, he's still I like, a funny guy. Yeah, I like the latter day Bobcat. He's more thoughtful on talk shows and everything. But um, absolutely, yeah, he's so not burning couches on uh, on, late on, on Leno <laughs> or squealing in the Police Academy Two or some such thing. <laughs> John Tobin, you're awesome. We're going to have to have you back. Um, again, go to, to it. go to johntobinpresents.com, and you'll get details on all those shows he mentioned. Go watch more comedy, people. You need to laugh yes. and then take a date. And if she doesn't laugh, screw her, man. She is not a keeper. John, thanks. We'll have or, you back. Or, 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 or him. Or, or him. Or him. Yeah. Thanks, David. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Thank you, John. Thank you, listeners. If you like this podcast, do us a solid. Share it with a friend or a colleague. The thing's free for crying out loud. Hit the share button on your app and enjoy your day, Boston. <laughs>